You're listening to Quick and Dirty History, the show about American history on the go. This episode of Quick and Dirty History is brought to you by whiskey. That's right, that sweet and oaky, delicious nectar of the gods. If our grandparents didn't drink too much whiskey that one night, we probably wouldn't exist. So, let's get rolling. Taxes and whiskey together are a very dangerous combination. Have you ever tried to do your taxes while drinking whiskey? You're just asking for an audit. I don't recommend it. The combination of taxes and whiskey presented quite a calamity during the presidency of George Washington as well. As we'll see, whiskey, taxes, a pompous government, and fired-up Revolutionary War veterans don't mix well. In 1791, America had a big problem. It was in debt from the Revolution. The Secretary of the Treasury and a big fan of a large federal government, Alexander Hamilton, proposed an excise tax on distilled spirits. Small government fans like Thomas Jefferson opposed the tax, but nonetheless, it passed in the new Congress. One of the things Americans love and always have is whiskey. Congress failed to understand just how upset Americans living on the western frontier of Pennsylvania would be by this tax, and what they would do to reject it. At the time, beer, made from grains of course, was often distilled in America to lower the volume and heighten the alcohol content, with the result being our beloved whiskey. While large producers of grain, like George Washington himself, <clears throat> could incur the tax, Smaller-scale farmers in the West thought the tax was a major abuse by the federal government targeting those producers of corn and other grains. Many of the small-scale farmers were veterans of the Revolutionary War who had just gotten done fighting with their blood, sweat, and tears to inevitably create a federal government. A federal government that was now sticking it to them. These war veterans believed they were fighting for a major principle they held dear. No taxation without representation. The federal government, of course, argued that these taxes were a legal power of Congress. Keep in mind, the federal government is really young at this point and didn't fully understand what they were doing at the time, which is, of course, no excuse. George Washington thought he could resolve the dispute peacefully, but he was mistaken. Protests continued to become more and more frequent until 1794 when they became violent. Near Pittsburgh, about 400 whiskey rebels set fire to the home of the regional tax collector. In response, the hero of the revolution and now president, George Washington, led 13,000 militia provided by Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia to squash the rebellion in western Pennsylvania. When George Washington comes rolling into town with an army, the best course of action is to surrender. By the time the militia reached Pittsburgh, most of the whiskey rebels had run for the hills. The militia gathered as many of these whiskey-loving rebels as they could and tried them for treason. Two of them were found guilty of treason, a crime punishable by death. Fortunately, good old George Washington pardoned them. The whiskey rebellion could have gone in an even more violent direction, but none other than the father of the country was able to help it survive its first major challenge as a federal authority. After the rebellion was over with, most of those distilling spirits in Kentucky continued to throw the middle finger to the tax law. Hundreds of Kentucky distillers were convicted of violating tax laws, a theme which stereotypically continues in Kentucky to this day. Those classic Kentucky whiskey producers just sticking it to the man. 
Ultimately, the whiskey tax was repealed when Thomas Jefferson became president. What the Whiskey Rebellion did, though, was show the people that the new national government had the ability and the will to suppress violent resistance to their laws, something they've shown time and time again since. 